the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning. Uh, Good morning. And joining us uh, for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, former high-ranking government official from two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Mark. Good morning. As you know, we uh, always start with uh, a finish the quote. We start with a few quotes, but the first one is always finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it is, justice, sir, is the great what? Mm. How would you finish that quote? Great achievement of mankind. A great equalizer? I'm not sure. I've got nothing. Well, the original quote was, uh, 
Justice, sir, is the great interest of man on earth. It is the ligament which holds civilized beings and civilized nations together. Who do you think said that? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess a wild guess Oliver Wendell Holmes, but I don't know at all. No, it was uh, Daniel Webster. Oh, oh. <coughs> I, I, I don't know why, but I was kind of surprised when I came across that quote. Yeah, yeah. But here is, uh, this is definitely uh, a quote that caught my attention. Truth is, there is almost no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Do you recognize it from this past week? That wasn't Barr, was it? No, no, but you're on the right track, Paul. That that was uh, former Vice President Mike Pence. Oh, who, oh. who rebuked former President Donald Trump on Thursday night on the question of overturning the results of the 2020 presidential election. The former vice president's remarks at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California, I used to live right down that street from there, focused primarily on laying out a pro-Trump platform for a potential White House run of his own. Is there a path to the presidency for Mike Pence? <laughs> he seemed like he's getting hit from both sides. I mean, you know. Well, and he tried, uh, he tried in his remarks at the uh, Reagan Library yeah. to play both sides. That's true. That's true. Well, you can really never tell at this moment because I think the American people are so confused and divided right now between those who follow the uh, Trump forces and those who follow Biden. And uh, all of the other issues that surround <clears throat> things that divide us, like race and gender and all of those. And I think that people are still mulling over who they think would be the best president in this situation. But Trump, um, the vice president might be a choice. But don't you think that that that, that uh, Pence has alienated all him, himself from all the the, the pro-Trump forces within the Republican Party? That's that's what I mean. As long as, long as they prevail, now they may not prevail forever, yeah. but as long as they prevail, yeah. I wonder what yeah. his shot chances might be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. know I mean, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, uh, I think we know all the bad things about Mike Pence, and uh, whereas. There are a lot of other folks who are going to contest for the uh, nomination on the Republican side, and they'll get swatted down in time. And, you know, he may just be left standing there at the end um, as sort of a Biden-like figure. I mean, nobody mm. liked Biden. Nobody liked Biden, but look what happened. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. So yeah. Um, and I, I just don't know. He's, he's It's easy to underestimate him is what I would say, and he, he seems to Look, I, I, I still have a condo in Indiana. I lived in Indianapolis, and as Tom knows, I served Mitch Daniels in his cabinet department. Uh, Pence was about to be um, ridden out of town on a rail when uh, when Trump picked him up to run because, he, remember, they had the uh, religious uh, debacle where even the chamber, state chamber of commerce was turning against him. He was going to lose oh, the government. I remember that, yes, yes. He was, he was going to run his re uh, he was going to lose his reelect probably. Uh, p Trump picked him up, and the rest is history. So he's easy to underestimate. He's pretty durable. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, there may be an angel following Mike Pence around. Right. <laughs> um, another. Is, it called, is, is the angel called Mother? <laughs> <laughs> and there are those forces out there who really <clears throat> noticed that Pence supported the president under some of the worst of circumstances. And yes. he knew that, that the president may have walked on, that they're in water, or they're in ice, I should say. Well, Pence, and he was back Pence there is, to hold him up. Pence is, loyal. A, Pence is an interesting character. If, if, if we weren't in such divisive times, I think he would have scored points very highly for having been loyal to the president he served. But then you know, coming through and, and standing up for the Constitution and his role in, 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 to what limited degree he had a role in certifying the um, uh, Electoral College uh, results from the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, he may get some points for, for kind of uh, you know, profiles and courage, so to speak, towards the end of his, of his term there, and for some of the things he's said since then. So it's a possibility. Um, that the other thing I'd say about it is uh, somehow it fell to Liz Cheney to become the face of the opposition. That's because she still had a post in the government, uh, you know, after January 6th. Trent, uh, pardon me, uh, Pence did not after the 20th. So he's he sort of hasn't been in the fray defending himself in the same way that, say, Cheney has been. So I'm not sure that the people who would be against him have uh, still have the same quite have the same venom if you will mm-hmm. well another quote that caught my attention this past week michigan state senators mike shirky and ed mcbroom are doing everything possible to stop voter audits in order to hide the truth about november 3rd mm. any thoughts mm, i'm trying to think of Whitmer. No, that was. How about, uh, how about Turner Carlson? <laughs> no, that's that's a good guess though. <laughs> Former President Donald Trump took aim at two yeah. Republican oh. Michigan lawmakers in a statement issued Thursday, after a report led by Senator Ed McBroom, a Republican from Falcon, Michigan, debunked several false claims surrounding the results of the 2020 election. Do you think the the former president's remarks will have any impact on political plans for either Shirky or McBroom? Hmm. They may incidentally uh, impact them, but I don't think directly, you know. Yeah, I don't think in the long term it will have any long-lasting impacts. Um, in part because there's so many comments coming out of Trump. I mean, I, I, I look at my email and I feel like I get something almost every hour about something like that. So I, I really wonder how long-lasting it'll be. Well, and and those remarks were made in, in what was being billed as uh, the launch of um, former President Donald Trump's uh, revenge tour. <laughs> yeah. The remarks he made in Ohio, and that's when he mm. made this, uh, this attack on the, the two Michigan uh, state senators. Um, if if it doesn't have much of an impact on Shirky and McBroom, what does it say about the future of the Trump revenge tour? You know, I think in some ways, if it, 
to the extent that it's been de- been labeled the, the revenge tour, that may diminish it in some way. And as I say, as I look at some of the comments I, I get frequently in my email from that Save America pact, it does sound like a revenge tour and sound like an angry person still lashing out about what happened last November. And I just, I just don't think those are going to have legs in the in, in the future. I mean, he'll he'll have some loyalists, but I think it's going to fade. Yeah, I own. Go ahead, please. I, I was just going to say. Um, the three of us, Tom, we follow this politics more closely than we should, and we're not doing too well on your quotes here. And that's because <laughs> we're, we're, we're tired of this. <laughs> There's just so much noise. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that even people like us who waste too much time uh, following this stuff aren't listening as closely as we did before the election or two years ago or three years ago. So I... Uh, I think that's a factor in in uh, in this and what you're getting at in terms of what Trump's trying to do. There's just an exhaustion level that and, people want some time off. And to that point, Mark, I, I found it kind of interesting uh, this past Saturday. I had to look for coverage of Trump's remarks in Ohio. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't everywhere. That's true. I finally, yeah, I finally found it and got to watch a chunk of it. <laughs> um, this is how how persistent I can be. Um, late at night on C-SPAN. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a few clips on Facebook. That's that's, that's true, Tom. I, I, it, it and that could suggest that could be a point that Trump has tried to make for a long time that the press has made it. But on the other hand. American people get saturated. There's a point of saturation with all of this, and I think, Tom, you've alluded to it, and so has Mark, uh, about how much of this are we willing to listen to and to dwell on with all of the other negative events that's rising up and opposing the former president. And all of the laws that are being invented or that are being passed in Congress that reverses a lot of what uh, Trump has done. That stuff will create momentum for early saturation. Well, you know, I, I think I think Mark makes a good point, though, that most Americans aren't political junkies following this stuff every minute of the day. And, yeah. and uh, for all the attention we pay to it, it may not matter an awful lot to the average voter in many ways. Yeah, and, well, uh, and that's my point. Yeah, Paul yeah. and I have talked about that a number of times because we're among a very small group of people that collect political speeches. <laughs> well, I think that most Americans are, you know, they're sitting there and they're saying, you know, are my kids going to be back in school? Or, uh, you know, geez, I quit my job because I thought I was going to get a better job. Now it doesn't seem to be quite clear what I'm going to do. There's a whole host of things that are happening to to normal people, and they're not quite, they're not even, they're not worried about the midterms let alone uh, three years from now at this point, is what I would say. Well, Mark, I, uh, I, I don't pick the, uh, the quotes to stump anybody. They just, they just come up and catch my attention. But we have to take a, <laughs> we have to take a, short, uh, a short break here. But we'll be back with more Armchair Politics, and we'll, uh, we'll turn our uh, premier political pundits to um, 
some, some news headlines. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show and welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Mark Everson. The Flint City Hall building uh, partially reopened on Monday. Um, as part of the city's uh, reopening plan, offices will be open from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday. Customer Service, Assessor's Office, Building and Safety Office of Public Health, and City Hall Front Desk will all see members of the community. All other City Hall offices remain open and can be reached via phone. According to a news release from the city, the walk-up customer service window remains open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekdays. Residents can enter City Hall uh, through the main entrance on South Saginaw Street or the entrance to the South Building on East 7th Street. Hours of operation will expand soon, the release said. This is the second time City Hall has partially reopened during the pandemic. The last time, in August 2020, the city closed again two months later due to a spike in COVID-19 cases. How close is uh, Flint City Hall to returning to normal? Or has it ever been normal, I guess? <laughs> normal is kind of an odd word to use around City Hall, but that's another story. <laughs> maybe, maybe it will be reformed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, we'll, we'll see what normal looks like. If <laughs> We don't want it to go back to normal. You know what's been... Yes, that's good point, Henry. Yeah. You know what's been amazing about this is... Um, during the time the city hall was closed and they had to hold meetings electronically via Zoom and, or whatever else yeah. they did, um, but they managed to carry that craziness that went on in the chambers yeah. onto the Internet and into their Zoom yeah. meetings. Yeah, I, I thought when they did that, I thought, well, see, once they go in and get on Zoom, it'll be at least more efficient. They won't be able to insult each other quite as much, but nothing ever changed. In fact, it seemed like the meetings got maybe even longer than usual with that kind of thing going on. I don't know. But we have to make exceptions that it wasn't the entire city council. It was the same characters. True. That, that drive that craziness. And yeah. speaking of uh, returning to normal, or at least beginning the process of returning to normal, um, next week's show is the one we're going to do in person. Oh, it's, yeah, it's great. We're gonna, it's going to be on your deck, is that correct? Yep, yep, we're going to set up right next to the oh, grill, yeah. <laughs> and that's intentional. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, in fact... Um, Chris Douglas from University of Michigan Flint will drop by for the uh, for the first hour, and then we'll have our roundtable with uh, Paul Henry and uh, I believe Jan Worth Nelson is going to be joining us uh, for for that face to face edition of Armchair Politics, which will be the first time that we've seen each other and and met in person um, since before the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Can we bring something to uh, just to, to sit on a table or something like that as a 
part of oh the i don't i don't know henry you can reach out to me off the air and, and we can talk about you know some of those okay. things um and, and i said that was going to be the first time that we've seen each other since before the pandemic but that's only if paul and henry don't join me on the fourth uh, oh that's, <laughs> that's right that's bro. my that's my official day to come out of the bunker and have <laughs> Uh, a couple of family members and a few friends over for yeah. a, a cookout on the 4th, and, and, of course, you're both invited. I appreciate that, yes. Thank you. So that may be the first time we've seen each other since before the pandemic, but it'll be the first mm -hmm. time Armchair Politics has met face-to-face. -face. And I hope that's the beginning of several remote broadcasts uh, over the course of the summer and into the fall from various locations around Flint, Genesee County, and, and maybe even the state. Um, but we'll have more on that later. Um, the city of Flint's 12th Street garage has been renamed for a former transportation official who died last year after contracting COVID-19. The garage was renamed the Betty Weidman Building at a ceremony Thursday, honoring the 26-year employee for her work and service to residents Many people have lost their lives, but we have to remember to honor them by doing the very best we can every day, Mayor Sheldon Neely said during the ceremony. Um, Weidman began her career with the Flint uh, Police Department in 94, according to the city, and in the following year she began her work in the Department of Public Works. She was promoted within the department, eventually serving as a transportation division manager uh, Neely has said Weidman was among three city employees who died in 2020 from COVID-19. The mayor and uh, family, uh, or Flint uh, Transportation Director John Daly proposed that the building at 702 West 12th Street be renamed in her honor, and the city council approved a resolution finishing <coughs> the task earlier this year. Will naming this building serve as a reminder of... of uh, the public servants that, that lost their lives during the pandemic? I would hope so, and I, and I think that gesture is nice. I think that the naming, naming a building after someone like that really is a, a gesture that I think is very valuable. I, you know, I don't imagine that the average president or governor notices when a building's named after them, but for someone like that to have that honor, I think it's a, it is a reminder of what, they've, what they went through. Yeah, and it's people are really serious about their concern about COVID and how devastating it was. They will remember her for that reason. If we continue to to honor and believe that COVID had a, a severe impact upon the city of Flint. Genesee County Court Buildings will fully reopen to the general public, uh, or did open to the general public Monday for the first time since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The health emergency in Genesee County was lifted by the Genesee County Board of Commissioners at its regular meeting June 23rd. All court facilities, including the 67th District Court, Genesee County Probate Court, and 7th uh, Judicial Circuit Court will be open to the public. There will be no mask requirement for entrance, according to a news release. Masks are still permitted and recommended for those who aren't vaccinated. Current court proceedings that are already scheduled to be conducted via Zoom will remain scheduled, according to the release. Is the health emergency over? I, I mean, I'm... 
I'm concerned about two things. On one hand, I'm concerned that in the fall, when the kids get back in school, are we going to see a spike among younger, among the kids who many of them are not vaccinated? And one big worry I have in the future is that as this vaccine, as this uh, pandemic percolates around the world, are we going to see you know variation uh, 97 pop up in a year or so that's resistant to the vaccine? So I think I mean it. It's, it certainly feels much better now than it did six months ago. But I'm I'm not so sure the whole thing is all over yet. And and my concern is um, <clears throat> that I hope it's over because uh, for the reason that I think that everybody needs that germ in their body to help build that stable immune system. And we are exposed to it all the time because we don't always have our mask on. And it's permeated in the atmosphere all the time. So as we get herd immunity, uh, that would be good for us. And of course, we're going to lose people as we go there, as we do in every epidemic. But uh, humanity will be stabilized. Well, things have been. So very, this is. I was going to ask you, Mark, if you wanted to weigh in because things have been uh, a lot different in uh, Mississippi than they have been up here. Yeah, it's interesting, Tom. Um, as we talked about in the past, this how you feel about this and what's going on very much is uh, it differs depending on where in the country you are. Down here, uh, yeah, we're we're done with the pandemic. I was at an event yesterday morning. Uh, put on by the Jackson County Chamber of Commerce. Jackson County is here on the coast. It's We've got uh, two pretty big employers, Ingalls Shipbuilding, biggest private sector employer in the state, and then Chevron has its biggest refinery in the country down here. And there was a reception for the new president of Ingalls, a, a woman engineer, University of Michigan uh, graduate, actually, who's been with the company down here for over 20 years, and there were 150 people there in the in the at the Pest School of River Audubon Society. Very nice sort of event, but there was one person who had a mask on. One person, and we have the lowest vaccination rate in the country. And I guarantee you, uh, I don't know, I'd be shocked if more than 70 percent of the people in that room had actually been vaccinated, even though it was. You know, it's skewed. These are people who work for Ingalls or who are business leaders or others. So it's skewed more towards people who probably would get vaccinated. But uh, down here, the things have changed, and people are, are uh, going back to have gone back to their life as it as it existed before March of last year. Yeah, well, you get that feeling around here. I was I was at a restaurant with some friends last night, and there were. I mean, it's always a quandary for me whether I should or shouldn't wear the mask. I've been, been in the habit of wearing it for so long, and I put it in my pocket, but sometimes I'll put it on when I go into a store. Other times I don't bother. And I would say it, on average, and at least in, last night in the restaurant, two-thirds of the folks did not wear masks. A few people did, but most of them did not. It was a very small restaurant. But well, uh, down, down here, Paul, people say, look, well, if you got vaccinated and then you're wearing the mask, you're hurting the cause of getting vaccinated. Because people say, well, what's the point of getting vaccinated if I still have to wear yeah. the mask? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, here's here's one uh, that I've been looking forward to, to bringing up because it's it's 
just one of those real quirky things that happens. A woman who won an election in a Genesee County community should have been scratched from the ballot for failing to indicate that she's a U.S. citizen, the Michigan Court of Appeals said. Months later, no one is trying to remove Sherry Moore from the city council in Goodrich, southeast of Flint, but the appeals court judge, Mark Lachana, exceeded his authority when he overruled election officials and put her on the November ballot. We conclude that the issue is a matter of public significance. Finally, it is clear that the uh, trial court is in need of guidance, the court said, in a 3-0 to zero opinion. Moore had been disqualified by the Genesee County Election Commission after failing to check a box about citizenship on her official paperwork. Lachana erred in apparently characterizing plaintiff's omission as a very small error, the appeals court said Thursday. In fact, as the Michigan election law makes clear, it was a critical error that rendered plaintiff's uh, document facially invalid. Nothing in the law allows the affidavit to be fixed after the filing deadline, said Judges uh, Amy Krause, Kathleen Jansen, and Michael Kelly. Should there be a do-over via special election, or should her seat be forfeited? Hmm. You know, what, what strikes me as strange is it seems like that, that particular question about the citizenship seems to have caused many candidates to fall by the wayside. I I think I've seen the 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 form that they fill out. It doesn't seem like it's a particularly minor kind of point, but I'm surprised how many candidates almost every election fail to check that. And we and, and almost it seems like with some regularity we hear cases like this where a particular candidate fail to check that box, even though they were citizens, they just didn't didn't bother to check it, and they get bounced off the ballot and they end up in court, and sometimes they get put on, sometimes they get kicked off. I. I, I, I don't I don't know what it is about Genesee County voters or or candidates who who tend to make the same mistake over and over again. I'm sorry. What are you asking, Tom? I'm not quite sure I understand. Are you saying that the seat she should be kicked off, but then the seat should just not be filled, or what are you asking? No, I'm saying um, that the Court of Appeals has said putting her on the ballot was in error. Some people are calling for her to step down. And that would trigger a special election. What I'm saying is, should there, should she get some kind of a do-over via special election? Hmm. You know, I, yeah, a special I'm, election, don't you have to file again, the paperwork again? Yeah. And the local, local yeah. jurisdiction is going to have to pay for the special election. It imposes extra costs on the local government. Uh, my well, problem, my problem with this issue <clears throat> is that uh, we should follow the law until it's changed in some jurisdiction. But making all of these exceptions uh, for everything, and this is what we're doing throughout the nation, we're crumbling the meaning of constitutional government by making small exceptions here and small exceptions there. And nobody is ever satisfied as long as we still maintain the ability to make small exceptions. I think the law should be the law until it's changed. Let's be crumble from the inside. I was just about to say something similar, Henry. I mean, I don't know if you guys are 
baseball fans, but there was a big uproar when NC State was, uh, you know, they were kicked out of the College World Series. Everybody knew the rules. If he tested positive for the virus and you had a certain number of people tested positive, your team was going to be disqualified. They still chose not to get vaccinated. You had the golfer a couple weeks earlier who won the U.S. Open who had been, uh, you know, disqualified from a tournament when he tested positive rather than get back. The, the rules are the rules. I agree with you. We, just because you don't like the application of the rules, yeah, it, it doesn't help anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Henry, on this. You know what? What is interesting, and and Paul raised the the issue of the of the finance for a small community to to hold a special election is is kind of expensive, and yet you know following the rules is important. Is there a procedural way? And and I don't know what the local charter would say about this, but um, what they do when there's a vacated seat, if they're allowed to appoint someone to serve out the remainder of the term, if maybe procedurally they shouldn't have her step down, uh, appoint her as you know a, a an interim uh, member uh, of that council, and and leave it to the next election. That's that depends solution. on state law and that their bylaws. Yeah. You guys, you can't violate your own bylaws. You know, the laws are laws are laws, and we need to learn how to uh, respect them and abide by them for our own satisfaction, safety, and self sense of value. So, what I don't understand here is. Um, this person have they been seated because they were get congressional. Yeah, when you get ahead. congressional elections, you know, when you get congressional elections and something's at issue, the person doesn't get seated until it's resolved. And if the person's been doing the job, are all the actions that were taken by the body uh, illegal? Illegal? This is what makes it such an interesting situation. Yeah, the implications Mark, because, could be enormous. Yeah. Because what happened is the elections uh, commission... Uh, the the county election commission kicked her off the ballot, and her campaign sued to get her back on the ballot. And a um, local judge said, "Oh, this was a minor infraction. Put her back on the ballot." So the issue had been resolved, and she won the election and was seated. Then, you know, and I'm not sure who brought the case to the Court of Appeals, but the appeals said that the original judge erred. Right. And she mm. should not have been put back on the ballot. And so it brings into question the, the legality of her being on the ballot, being elected, and ultimately being seated. And so now the question is, does she have to step down? But what about the action? She, she was a what a commissioner? Uh, uh, so what a, a city council for for a yeah. Small so town. what about? Were there any uh, close calls? I mean, if there if you had a three two decision or a four three decision, are they invalid? I mean, that's the question for me. Yeah, because this could have implication. Well, you know, this could this void their last year's budget or hiring of some right, exactly. of these for a lot of other yeah. things like that? Yeah, no, it's, no. it's a it's a real raffle. Now, I, I, there was a time that I could see them doing this. 
when the United States were looking at ways to bring parity to black Americans, and uh, they had been left behind, and they had been overlooked, and all of that stuff. In some cases, that might have been all right. But now we've moved into a completely competitive environment where uh, people don't need that anymore. We need to follow the law. We need to make the law work for all of us. Well, it seems like a very, fairly small thing. Um, you know, oops, I didn't check a box on my, you know, my campaign paperwork. And, and um, it's, it's a small seat. It's a city council for a very small town in Genesee County, just, you know, near Flint. Um, but yet, as, as we've just explained, that small error really created a, a domino effect. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. But all politics are local. That's what's so difficult. That's where it really counts. And it hits the ground, running, like school districts and so on and so forth. And people pay attention and they get mad. So you got to keep the, the law stable in these small communities. That's, that's the heart of America. As I say, I'm struck by how often this kind of thing happens around here. Wasn't there a time when we almost had, we were almost going to have, an, needed to have an all-write-in mayoral election because nearly every candidate had followed up yes. the application in some yes. and in many ways like this they fail to check this or that box of one kind or another they were fairly modest errors oh, but no, again, that, you know the beauty of that one paul and i remember the case you're talking about it's the one where uh, somebody ended up uh putting up um their pet pig as a candidate. that's right uh, giggles a pig <laughs> <laughs> but what but the the error there was that the city clerk that's right gave, that's right gave the candidates the wrong filing date yeah yeah so all of the candidates filed their petitions late and didn't qualify according to the state and then the, didn't the state have to pass a special piece of legislation to reallow them back on the ballot in some way I've forgotten the details. Yeah, what now. what the the resolution for that was by by state legislature uh, action, the uh, the the timeline for that election, um, yeah, was moved forward for a one time only yeah application. <laughs> it, uh, Genesee County's got a, a a crazy habit of doing these kind of things. Yeah. Well, it's funny when it's uh, you know it, that particular one was was really a mess because it, that's it right. came that's from right. the city clerk's office, and of course you know having fun with it the uh, uh, the guy the lawyer from Fenton that ran his pet pig for mayor that was <laughs> that was hilarious, and they and they actually campaigned a little. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I recall him walking down the street with the pig on a leash at one point somewhere. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> with banners and flags and stuff. <laughs> well, anyway, we've got to take a break there, but we'll come back. We'll we'll move from Goodrich to uh, to Lansing, and talk about some state things before we move on to the national news and the uh, X Files. Um, 
You're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. We're going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 LPFM in Flint, our voices radio WFOV, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more armchair politics straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you 
that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed two bills Friday that would have created a new tax credit for businesses that purchased personal protective equipment during the pandemic. The governor said she vetoed the legislation due to the nature of how the expense would have to be funded. The bipartisan bills aim to create a tax credit rather than a grant program making the expense ineligible for federal American Rescue Plan dollars, she said. Should employers get some form of reimbursement for the cost of providing PPE during the national health emergency? Well, you're given so many benefits for in so many ways, I suppose it wouldn't be unusual. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm going to quandary on that one. I guess I. Uh, I mean, some some employers was certainly spent a lot of money. Others very very minimal. I don't know. Is that an expense that the uh, that the the business owner should incur? Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not enough of a tax expert, but as a business expense, wouldn't that be uh, wouldn't that be a, a, a tax write-off to begin with as a, a, a business expense against your income? Maybe I'll, I'll defer to Mark on this. Yeah, I was going to say, let's yeah, talk to the guy who used to work for the IRS. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. It's, yeah, it's, it's a legitimate business expense, but there have been different measures that have been taken. The Congress has allocated money for these kinds of things. I'm, uh, I, I don't know the facts here, but I think I'm with the governor that there has been a, quite a bit of relief provided to cover this kind of thing already. I don't know what she said when she made the veto, but uh, uh, I, 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 for one, don't think we need to throw more money at that at this time. Well, she said uh, that they, they can't use the federal dollars if they make it a, a tax credit, so it needs to be a grant program. And that's why she she passed on it as written. I see. Well, the Michigan House and uh, Senate each passed bills this week, including the state's long-negotiated budget, approved in the House with a significant boost to school funding. As budget talks between the two chambers and the governor's office continue, the Michigan Senate has teed up a bill to delay the statutory July 1st budget deadline if necessary. In bipartisan votes late Thursday evening, the Michigan House approved budget bills with a big increase in funding for K-12 schools, but whether the legislature can come to a final agreement on the funds before their self-imposed July 1st deadline remains up in the air. 
The deal to pass the House was negotiated with Governor Gretchen Whitmer's administration, and the governor praised its passage in a statement, but the Senate was not immediately on board and adjourned until today. Talks between the House and Senate are ongoing. Does the Senate, did that uh, Senate adjournment kill any chance of uh, the budget being passed by tomorrow? I would think so, yeah, with a Fourth of July weekend coming up and all of that. So, yeah, I, 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 we have a long habit in, in Michigan of not hitting, hitting with one exception during Governor Snyder's times, of, of not hitting our deadlines for the budget. Well, House Republicans passed a series of bills uh, last Wednesday evening that would enact a stricter voter ID law in Michigan. Michigan already requires voters to present an ID at their polling locations. But under current law, voters who don't have an ID when they show up can sign an affidavit uh, affirming their identity and vote normally. Uh, Senate Bill 303, which passed the House, um, along a party-line vote would eliminate that option. Instead, voters who don't present an ID on Election Day would have to cast a provisional ballot. SB 304, which also passed the House along party lines, would allow those provisional ballots to be counted only if a voter goes to his or her local clerk's office and prevents, er, presents an ID within six days of the election. Earlier versions of the bills were passed in the Senate June 16th. The two bills have been returned to the Senate. The affidavit option is rarely used, but voting rights advocates say it helps ensure voters without an ID can still exercise their right to vote. Is this an attack on voting online and by mail? Hmm. Um... Is this going to require uh, require an ID for mail-in absentee ballots, or is this just for the in-person folks who don't have an ID? I'm not. I wasn't quite clear about that. Yeah, I'm not clear about that either, Paul. Yeah. And, and I was wondering if the idea of eliminating the affidavit option, which some people are suggesting this would do, um, would influence the ability to. Uh, present ID by affidavit online and in the mail. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if that were the case, it would have enormous implications for the for, for voting. <clears throat> if it was simply folks who show up at the in person and, and don't have an ID, I mean, I think it's kind of an unnecessary sort of thing from my perspective, but it may, wouldn't have a lot of impact, probably. But... Uh, as I say, there's very few voters who end up in that situation anyhow. But if it if it impacted the the absentee mail-in, that could have huge impact, especially now with some of the the new laws in Michigan that allow so much uh, so much easier mail-in absentee voting for almost everybody. So. There are so many of these bills around the country that are being passed by various state legislatures. Uh, um, dealing with uh, voter ID and, and other mm -hmm. aspects of voting. Um, is this, as Governor uh, Whitmer has said, and others have said this too, are these solutions looking for a problem? Uh, 
for the most part, that's my view. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the, the, the evidence of voter fraud was so minimal that, uh, that there was there was no no evidence that it changed any significant elections. And what strikes me too is to take a look at the voter fraud issue. The few cases there were were fairly bipartisan. There were probably as many Democrats as Republicans doing it. Uh, and uh, as I say, it seems to have had ex- extremely minimal impact on the election. Where uh, there, there, seemed, there was no, no serious evidence of systematic uh, voter fraud in any large quantities at all. And, and the, the ones that were out there were just kind of these quirky cases where somebody tried to vote twice or vote for a dead relative or something of that nature, and they were caught. Uh, I, I do think these are real issues in the sense that there is a growing frustration. A lot of it, to me, uh, comes down to the technology. There's a distrust of the technology. You don't have to go any further than this morning. And the fact that now in New York City they're saying there are 150,000 votes that shouldn't have been included in the, what they what they released yesterday. I don't know if you guys have seen this story, but they had the the you know the ranked choice uh, right. uh, election, and and they released some numbers yesterday, and then they realized that they had some test ballots, 150,000 I think it was, that had been used to test the system when the software. But they had somehow included them in the results that they issued yesterday, and then they're going to have to reissue it. There's just a lot of, of uh, unfortunately, more and more manipulation of data and the problems and a general, you know, hacking and everything else. I think people are, uh, even though I agree, clearly, Barr said it, everybody said it, the election results last year should not have been overturned. And uh, it, it's right. There's Substantively, at this point, you can't say that there's been a bad election result but i think people say we got to get this right we got to get the data right we got to get the identity right and um uh, unfortunately that this distrust uh, the lack of comfort let's say is being exploited by some who are trying to exclude certain voter groups that's that's very unfortunate i would say but i think the issues of of the distrust of data and and uh you, you can't you can't go in and write your name down. You can't see the, see the ballots in the same way that you might have years ago. I think the whole thing has kind of gotten out of hand. Uh, that's uh, I'm not being very articulate about it, but I think this is that's in the mix somewhere. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think there's a, a concern that um, that that so much of this uh, process has been computerized that less people are actually involved in the final numbers you know it used to be like like you were talking about mark um everybody filled out a paper ballot and then all those paper ballots were taken to a room and there were a whole bunch of people in that room and they went through the ballots and counted and and they got some results and and there was uh you know there was a paper trail for that and now with so much of it being done digitally it's it's hard to go back and and uh, and recount those things if there's a question. That's it. And there's not a person in America. Look, you just ran a PSA for uh, you know the attorney general's office for yeah. people calling and uh, scammers. And uh, there's not a person who hasn't gotten some bogus email link that they shouldn't open. And uh, people mm-hmm. are just worried about the integrity of things. And uh, I I think that's. Uh, one of the drivers here. Yes, is it being exploited? Yes, have there been problems? 
thus far that would overturn elections? No. But, you know, we the FBI looking at the Russians trying to manipulate the election last time. That was uh, pretty clear they did that. So uh, so it's there are potential problems out there, and it's that we've got to get this right. We do have to get it right. And I, I think trust in the, system, in the system in general has been weakened. I mean, in, in so many systems, whether it's local, state, or national, have been weakened, and maybe the elections are part of it. We, we really have lost trust in an awful lot of those things that we assume were we're typical or normal for the longest time. All right, we'll take a short break for Top of the Hour ID, and we'll return with the second half of Armchair Politics. Uh, straight ahead. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 